We welcome Alid Osborne from Bristol onto the show to talk to us about his work with Brigstow. Welcome, Alid. Hi. Right, Alid, you've um, come on the show today to talk to us about your work with Brigstow. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the charity and what your role is with them? Yeah, of course. So uh, Brigstow are a HIV support charity, so we support absolutely anyone living with or is affected by HIV. So we are based in Bristol in Easton um, and our support services really mainly cover Bristol and the surrounding areas. So we're a bit in North Somerset and South Wales. We've been going for about 24 years. So next year is a big party for us. We do loads of work um, supporting people um, that are living with HIV so there's a number of different services that we provide um, and I look after their fundraising and communication so um, all of their unrestricted income so all of their donations their event work uh, any core cost funding grants that I apply for and all of their communications so social media press website newsletters and I do some awareness raising so you work in that as well so you got your work cut out yeah i you think see? it's typical it, it's very typical of the third sector you kind of wear and the voluntary sector so you have kind of like five hats that you kind of all juggle and wear at the same time so um how many people are part of the part of the group in bristol so we have like 10 members of staff um and that's split quite equally between full and part-time i'm a full-time member of staff thankfully um, and then we have a like quite a huge team of volunteers that do a lot of work for us as well either in our campaigns work and spreading awareness and the promotion side or they're actually doing direct one-to-one -one support with some of our clients okay can you um tell us a little bit about some of the services they provide that say um, some people wouldn't necessarily think about straight away. Yeah, so we have an advice and support service um, and, that, and that can be anything from a phone call to two years worth of support and that can be someone calling up and going, I'm going travelling for six months and I don't know where I can get my meds or can I take my medication with me to somebody who needs to help with applying for benefits or housing um, it will, if they've got any employment issues. We also have a migrant and asylum support service as well. So this is a designated service for any kind of migrant client or asylum seeker that's coming to the UK who is living with HIV and we'll support them until they get their, um, their status granted. Um, and then we will continue to support that person for a year afterwards to help with the transition. So that can take years for someone's settled status to be given when they come to this country. Um, and when they're a migrant, they don't have any access to public recourse. So the benefits that people can apply to, they can't apply for that yet. So they are on a very low restricted income um, so we kind of help support them with that and the immigration process as well as their HIV support um, and then we have a positive voices 
service. So this is using positive people to help other positive people. Um, and that power of that partnership is really huge. And sometimes what a lot of people want when they are newly diagnosed is just to meet someone who's also diagnosed and to have a chat with them and talk about like the real life stuff that potentially you can't talk to a doctor or a, or a nurse about. So we offer peer mentoring um, and our peer mentors are volunteers um, and they meet up with someone once a week newly diagnosed or someone who is struggling with their diagnosis and they meet up for about an hour once a week and they can talk about anything that they want to talk about in relation to their HIV. We also have peer mentors at clinic. Um, we're one of the only clinics in the country to offer that service um, where somebody who is positive who's going to meet their medical team can actually just chat to a peer mentor there and then if they want to at Southmead Hospital where clinic's based again to talk about anything that they're unsure about. We hold a recently diagnosed workshop once a year and we do HIV awareness training to organisations and professionals. So. Uh, we've done a lot of work with Avon and Somerset Police yep. um, and we train and we've delivered HIV awareness training to a lot of their officers and their street team but also like the prison teams as well and raise their awareness of HIV so we do quite a lot. Whole, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say it's yeah. a, a massive massive range but I think um, you know it's probably important to take from that the fact that it's not just a a quick ad hoc service if people want you know it's from the very start to finish for a period of time to help them through you know whatever they're going through um, you know I think that's really good and that's probably something to to really highlight that it's not just a, a quick I guess it can be to a certain extent if that's what somebody wants but certainly that support um, period piece um, is, is really helpful. Um, for people I would imagine. Yeah exactly and initially let's say with like the peer mentoring that's, that's um, up to six months um, which is like one-on-one -on -one support with the client for six months with a volunteer but if there's something that comes out of that peer mentoring that they need further help with then they can also at the same time a advice and support client and have our support workers working alongside them so we've had mentees who have been a mentee but have also been a client of one of our other okay. services and like life happens and things change like and you can never plan for that so if you've been a client and um your and um, your situation was resolved at that time and everything's hunky-dory for a while but all of a sudden you need our help again and you can come back it's not a one-use system awesome awesome um, so, Alid, how did you come about joining Brigstow and the whole team? Yes, so um, I started as a volunteer. So back in 2016, uh, Bristol held its first ever World AIDS Day vigil, uh, which is on December the 1st. Um, and I was working for Bristol City Council for the time, and I wrote a piece about, I called it Coming Out Part 2, and it was talking about my HIV journey. Um, and the Equalities and Diversity Manager at Bristol City Council asked whether he could share it among 
some of the external agencies that we work with um, and Brogstow was being one of them. Um, so Brogstow read my piece and the um, campaigns manager at the time uh, called me um, and then invited me to speak at the World AIDS Day vigil, wow. um, which I did. Um, uh, which was on College Green at the beginning of December. It was absolutely freezing and it was outside as well. Thankfully, we hold them indoors now. Um, but uh, that was in 2016, I think. And then in 2017, um, I was, that's when I started to become kind of like full-time uh, volunteer. So I was a peer mentor. I was a campaign um, volunteer. I was a positive speaker. Um, so I would go on the HIV awareness training sessions and deliver training. And then that just continued for a long time. And at that time, I kind of knew I wanted to work in the HIV sector and that's yeah. where I would be best placed. Uh, but I had no professional experience. So I just threw everything into volunteering uh, and built up that experience instead. Um, and then February last year, the job that I'm doing now became available. Um, I applied um, and yeah, thankfully they decided to take a chance and, awesome. and, and they gave me the job. So volunteering works. Um, I wouldn't be in the position I'm in now if it wasn't for the volunteering that I'd done before. So do you think a lot of the social stigmas that um, definitely were around like in say the 80s are still around now? Do you think it's as prevalent um, and have you experienced these a lot in your life? I'd say yes, um, in a really short answer. So I could probably talk about stigma um, until I'm as blue as the pill of prep, to be honest, because um, it can, it, it's a big old topic and it's a, uh, it's um, the onion effect, it's multi-layered. Um, but fundamentally, I think, yes. So like, I always tend to say that um, we live in space age times with stone age minds. Um, so we have come a long way medically with HIV to the point where we're not dying anymore. Somebody can take a pill, like one pill once a day, and they're going to be absolutely fine. That will prevent them from transmitting the virus onto their sexual partners. Um, we have PEP, which is something like a morning after pill, which will prevent you from acquiring HIV. And we have PrEP as well, which is like the contraception pill for HIV. Again, that will prevent you from acquiring HIV. So medically, we've wow. come on, like medically, we've come on leaps and bounds. Um, and if you have got access to treatment, then you're not going to die. Um, so medically, I say that HIV isn't killing anybody who has access to treatment. What is killing people, though, is the stigma that is still surrounding HIV, which if you look at stigma, the first three letters of that is STI, which is quite funny. Um, or like it makes me laugh. Uh, it may not always be stigma from other people, but it can be stigma, like self-stigma as well. So, you know, uh, THT did a survey last year. Only 19% of the public know about U equals U, which is undetectable equals untransmittable, which is people living with HIV on, effect on effective treatment cannot pass the virus on. And only 19% of that. But one in four people still thought that you could catch HIV from kissing someone. So there are still a lot of social stigmas surrounding this. Um, you know, when we're talking about somebody young 
living with HIV, they can't talk about HIV potentially because if they disclose their HIV, they're disclosing their parents' HIV and their parents may not be open within their community to uh, people of colour um, and the stigma that they receive, that's a completely different layer and I wouldn't be able to speak on that because I couldn't and I wouldn't be best placed. Um, I've received stigma um, mainly from fellow gay and bisexual men, mm. um, which is funny because like people think that there's a heightened awareness within our community. Yeah, you uh, think they'd be a bit more understanding, wouldn't you? Yeah, but what I tend to find is the questions that, say, a heterosexual person would ask me when, I, when they find out or I share my status with them, the questions they often ask come from a place of concern um, and a complaint and a place of not knowing. Whereas at times I feel when it comes from gay and bisexual men, the questions they're asking me are coming from a place of judgment, not from a place of concern. And they're judging me on how I maybe how I contracted HIV with not even knowing how I contracted it. Um, and that's what they're basing their judgments on. Plus, I'm like, I think there's a bit of fear there, this thing that they're kind of aware of, but and probably should know more about, but don't. I've just made it physical and I've just bought it right in front of their face and be like, look, I am HIV positive, it's me. And they go, ah, oh my God. And that's when their kind of insecurities come out. And I have loads of examples of like the things that people have said to me. <laughs> Would you feel comfortable telling us how you um, contracted it? You don't have to if, if you don't want to, that's fine. Yeah, like I'm happy to say um, how I contracted it and that was through unprotected sex uh, with someone who I didn't know their status and they didn't inform me. So I like to think, I don't know whether this is certain or not, but I'd like to think that they didn't know their status either. And there are in the community still about 10% of people living with HIV who do not know that they are HIV positive. And that's because they like the fear of testing and the stigma surrounding testing and people aren't testing. Mm. Now, I'd say that I'm happy to share how I acquired HIV, but that is one of the things I would always say. If you, if someone decides to share their status with you, that's probably the one question not to ask the majority. Um, if it's on a one-to-one -one scenario, because you have no idea how they acquired it. And that question is also filled with a ton of unconscious bias. Yeah. So if I was to say that I acquired HIV through a blood transfusion, or I was born with HIV, are you gonna see me more as a victim? But because I acquired, as a gay man, I acquired HIV through unprotected sex, are you going to see that I was asking for it and I'm to blame? Um, and then based on your reaction of that, are you going to treat me any more differently? You, like, if, I, if, if you see me as a victim, are you going to treat me differently than someone who was to blame for it? Um, whereas actually how someone acquired HIV is not the crux of it. The fact of the matter is they're HIV positive and that's how, that's how we support people. Also, like, I had consent when I acquired HIV. Like, I consented to having sex and I consented to that moment happening. Whereas 
there's some members of our community who are HIV positive where that level of consent isn't even a luxury or a privilege mm. for them. Um, and they've acquired HIV through a traumatic mm. experience. And without like and in a question that takes like three seconds to ask, you've opened up this can of worms of not them having to relive that they're HIV positive and go through that, but potentially the vicarious trauma of how they acquired it as well. Do you think one of the biggest issues at the minute is, um, you know, people not knowing their status and not actively getting regular tests and checkups? Yeah, definitely. Because like over half of the people that are newly diagnosed are what we call a late diagnosis and that's not how old someone is but that's the length of time that they've been living with HIV before being diagnosed and the later you are diagnosed the more health implications that has and the more serious it can be and how unwell someone can be. What we know is like the sooner you get tested, the sooner you start treatment. And the sooner you start treatment, you become undetectable. Like if you're in a safe place, so you've got a fixed abode, you've got your home, you've got no other health problems, and you get diagnosed as HIV positive and you go through the system, you know, it can take like as little as three to four months as little as that to become undetectable um, and as soon as you're undetectable you're not passing HIV on to anybody else you just are healthier because you've been seen quicker and you're getting the right treatment and the right care from day one but there is stigma against testing um, in itself um, so if I was to say that I was gonna quit smoking quit which is never going to happen by the way but if I do say that I was to quit smoking to quit drinking to go to the gym potentially become a vegan again it's not going to happen um all of those life choices that I've made I would be congratulated for because they are positively going to affect my health but you know we go for potentially biannual eye checks and we go for six monthly dental appointments and you, that's seen as the norm because it's protecting your health. But you then are seen in a queue potentially to go to a walking clinic to get a sexual health checkup. And the question is, ooh, well, I wonder what they went up to on yeah. the weekend. They've been a naughty person. Or, oh, slut. Or, ooh, they're having all of this, blah, blah, blah. And it's actually, like, I would... Not that I'm, I am one, I'm, I judge all the time. I think it's a gay man's prerogative. We do it in our sleep. But like, I would probably judge you more if you've never been for a sexual health checker um, and you have a very active sex life, then regularly going to get tested. Because that's telling me if you are being tested, you're taking an active role in your health and you care about yourself. Yeah. and you're looking after yourself and that's where the shift needs to happen and people just need to test like it's normal go and get tested it's not scary anymore and there you go this, chris look chris go and get tested it's go fine. and get tested <laughs> actually actually do you know what is something i've noticed actually that um in the us it doesn't seem as much shame when it comes to sort of if you've contracted something and it's like the norm to just let everyone know that you've slept with over here people are a bit prudish aren't they like i'm not telling them i've got chlamydia or whatever something more serious they like they don't want to do it that's the thing like it's very 
un-British to talk about mm-hmm. sex and to talk about sex positively. And there's a massive stigma surrounding sex in this country. And the only time you tend to hear about sex being talked about positively is when it comes to marriage or procreation. And outside of that, it's always seems to be judged. So because we have that root stigma, you've then got these branches of stigma and anything that is as a result of sex is just as much stigma. So whether that's an abortion, whether that's a woman who's like claiming her body and is living a very healthy sex life, whether that's um, any of the STIs. And then you have HIV as well, which has predominantly been seen as a gay thing. So that's very unbritish as well. So like you then talk about sex and then you start talking about gay sex and nobody wants to hear about it and they'll run a mile about it. Whereas we're all on this planet because of sex. We wouldn't be having this conversation if three different incidences of sex at certain times happened. Um, mm. So let's talk about it. Like, sex is sex. And, and like, more. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Alid, have you seen that sex clinic programme on Channel 4? I have. <laughs> do, you, do you watch those lads that go in there and they're like, yeah, shag around and I never use condoms? Do you like roll your eyes and go, you muppet, what are you doing? Take better care of yourself. That's or really are you not hard. that judgy? <laughs> no, no that, 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 like, that's really hard. Like Because I think I have an incident of like a three second flash going, what a plonker. Um, and then I go, actually, let's think about this. And testing isn't really talked about or it's not normalised. And people may not know where to, how to or whatever. And that stems from kind of the sexual health that we have in our education system. And hopefully that will be better now with the compulsory sexual and relationship education that is going to be entering the curriculum very soon. But, you know, you do think, and that's when I kind of like the activist in me and the awareness raiser in me kind of kicks into gear because at times you can get fatigued and go, are we actually doing anything? And then you see right in front of you, like a person and you're like, okay, it's a not the spike. We still need to raise this awareness. Um, but there is ob- there is very obviously a moment of me going, you absolute tool. Like, how <laughs> could you not think and dipping it everywhere? You're not going to get bring something back with you. So, Alid, um, you said the word undetectable a few times um, in a couple of questions. Can you talk to us about the importance of the word undetectable in relation to HIV? Yes, I can. And it is massively, massively important. And this has probably been the one of the biggest aha moments in HIV um, since our treatment started, to be fair, or it got invented. Undetectable is massively important and it does mean something different to anyone positive that that you speak to but fundamentally undetectable means that you have an undetectable viral load which means that the level of HIV and the level of virus that in a person's blood is so low that on normal tests it cannot be detected. Having an undetectable viral load means for somebody who's living with HIV um, foremost means that they cannot pass the virus on to their sexual partners in any way. For me, it means that I can live a long, normal, healthy life 
If I wanted unprotected um, sex, I can, and there is no risk at all to my partner. And there's been four major studies that have confirmed this that have included over 125,000 incidences of sex between somebody positive and somebody negative and there's not been one linked transmission so the data is backing up this statement and we know that it is fact you know if i wanted to donate my sperm or use my sperm for babies it means that i'm going to have a negative baby and i'm not going to transmit wow. onto that but i onto. i didn't know that on to my unborn child, yeah. So being undetectable has a wealth of benefits, um, you know, just, and because your virus is so low, you're not going to become unwell. You're just not going to have all of the potential things that have happened uh, when people think of someone living with HIV, they see somebody really skinny or frail or old or um, covered in lesions. That very rarely happens now in the like in the developing world and especially in the UK where one of the leaders um, and 97% of people who are HIV positive in this country are on treatment and 98% of those people on treatment are undetectable. So it's a massive, massive, it is a massive thing. I would always promote the use of condoms. So whether you're a HIV positive person on their medication, um, or whether you're a HIV negative person and you are on PrEP, um, I would still always promote condoms. So Alid, uh, let's talk about PrEP. Yes, let's talk about PrEP. I love PrEP. <laughs> what is PrEP? and can anyone have access to it? Uh, so PrEP stands for pre-exposure prophylaxis. Um, so pre means before and prophylaxis means kind of get rid of. So it's a pill that you can take before sex, um, which will prevent you from acquiring HIV. So it's huge. It's like a game changer. Um, with within HIV. Like I said, it's kind of like the contraception pill for HIV. It's usually taken once a day. Yeah, it's phenomenal um, and it's incredible. I'm a massive PrEP advocate. Now, at this moment in time, you need to, uh, to access PrEP. There's only two ways that you can go about it. One is to buy it privately um, and people do. It's usually about £20 for a month's course. Um, and there's a website called iwantprepnow.co.uk which you can go on to. They will link you up to buying your prep privately that comes from abroad and that's 100% legal to do. Secondly, um, the way that you can access PrEP is to join what's called the PrEP Impact Trial, which is currently coming towards its end. So this is access through your sexual health clinic, your local sexual health clinic, wherever that is. Um, and it is, like I said, it's an impact trial that's been run by NHS England. So if you live in Scotland, Wales or Northern Ireland, you can get PrEP on prescription readily available. If you live in England, we're slightly different. Um, so Slightly a bit behind we, the times and backwards. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. And when it comes to the fact that places in America are probably more ahead of the game with PrEP than we are, that's when we really have to look at what mm. we're actually doing. 
So PrEP came about and they did all the research trials and they found it and they were ready to go and they were ready to present at this conference with NHS England when they announced what medication is going to be available on prescription for the next year. And they were ready to present PrEP and be like, look at this amazing thing. And at the last minute it was plugged and they said that PrEP is classed as a preventative um, and prevention is local authority funding based, not NHS England based. So we can't fund this, so it's not happening. So we as a sector were like, mm, that doesn't sound a bit right to us. Uh, that's, that's probably wrong uh, because you fund the contraception pill from like NHS England mm. and you uh, like and the morning after pill from NHS England. Um, and you already fund PEP which is a pill that you take after. So if you think that you've been exposed to HIV, either through, let's say, standing on a needle at a festival or the condom is broken or through a, um, a sexual assault, they, like you can take a course of treatment within 72 hours of that incident happening and it will prevent you from becoming HIV positive. You already fund PEP, which is a preventative. PrEP is pretty much the same thing it's just a different time you take it. You don't take it afterwards, you take it before. Um, so why not? So we took the we took NHS England to court um, and presented our case to a judge who ruled in our favour. So we were like, yay! Mm. Instantly, like, NHS England put out one of the most homophobic press statements I think I've ever seen since the time of Thatcher. It was awful. How it ever got signed off, I have no idea. And they were appealing the decision at the Supreme Court. So then we had to re-present our case at the Supreme Court and they ruled in our favour as well. And that's when NHS England were like, right, okay, we'll do a trial to see the effectiveness and the impact of this. Oh and gosh. originally, originally they allocated 10,000 spaces on this trial across the whole of England um, for three years and we were like ha 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 you do realise that's going to be like taken up pretty darn quick because we know a hell of a lot of people that want to access PrEP right mm. and it did so like about halfway through they added more places so we're coming to the end of the three years and it pretty much been announced that PrEP is going to be commissioned and PrEP is going to be available on the NHS uh, because of COVID and everything that's happening right now. Oh, yeah. We don't know exactly when that's going to be and we don't know exactly how it's going to work. So whether it's through a GP or still through the clinic, the sexual health clinic, we don't know the final details about it yet. We just know that it is going to become available. So whether you're a gay man, a straight man, woman, trans, um, non-binary, whether you're a sex worker, whether you're a person of colour, like everyone should be on PrEP. Anyone can access it. It's not a gay man drug. I mean, it's it's awesome that it's um, that it's happening, but you kind of think, you know, three, it could have happened three years ago. Like, why did we wait? But um, no, that's really good. And um, you know, it just gives us a bit of information exactly what it's all about. Um, and thankfully coming very, very soon. I was going to say that, like, I, I think that um, I think I've learned a lot today, a lot that I didn't know about. Like, I suppose, you know, I picked up little bits here and there from TV shows and stuff. 
But I suppose the masses who don't suffer with it or don't know anyone that suffers with it, they, they kind of just presume things, don't they? Because you don't push yourself to educate yourself unless it's in your life. I don't know, when I think about HIV, I always used to think about, well, Freddie Mercury and that bit in EastEnders, you know, with... Um, Mark with, Fowler. With Mark Fowler, yeah, and what happened to him, it was quite tragic, wasn't it? He? he just sort of rode off on his bike and we never saw him again. Um, if I'm honest, I'd, I'd do it that way. If I had a choice, I'd just drive <laughs> off into the sunset. But like, I do often wonder, like, what happened to Mark? Yeah, no, exactly. I know. I hope he's okay. I hope he's all right. <laughs> and uh, and that's when I say, like, I really, at times, I don't blame people if they don't know anything about it because it is like if you um, looked into it, it can be quite a depressing topic to talk about uh, with the history of the condition. You know, it wiped out thousands upon thousands of people back in the 80s and the 90s. And it, it can be a very sad thing to read about. And also, like, it's not usually a topic that people tend to, like, have a look at on the commute to work. It's not being like, oh, but le like, let's look up HIV. And it isn't talked about enough. Um, and sexual health just isn't talked about enough in general so i tend to don't blame people if they ask me like oh like what is it like and stuff like that and it can be a bit like this question again i'd rather them ask the question and they understand than go away with uh like a bias or a stigma that they're still holding on to but it's really positive though that it it's not a death sentence anymore yeah it's that, really that's a really positive thing yeah, pardon the pun, it is really positive. Like I like um like I take one pill once a day and I go to hospital twice a year. The impact of HIV on my life is very, very small. And I think that potentially, you know, if I was a type one diabetic and I had to inject myself four times a day, constantly watch what I ate, what I drank making sure I always had like a chocolate bar in my bag or close to hand. Um, that has a more direct impact straight away on like my life um, and a daily activity. Whereas HIV really doesn't. There's times where I, like, like I'd say I forget about it, but I work in the sector. So I talk about it like all of the time. But before I worked in the sector, like I could go all day without thinking about it until I take my tablet. It really has very little impact and it has very little impact on the people that I meet as well or have a relationship with, whether that's a casual or a long-term relationship. Like it really has very little impact on them now. You can have a normal life, you can have a normal sex life and we can have kids and everything can be fine if you get tested, you get on treatment, you take your treatment, you stick to your treatment. Like if it wasn't for my treatment, like I don't know where I'd be. Not always a Disney film, uh, but it's a lot brighter than it once was. Right, Alid, I thought we'd do um, a bit of a quick fire round. Um, I decided to uh, trawl through the internet for some interesting uh, and sometimes very ignorant assumptions of HIV. Um, and we'd like to uh, put some of these statements to you um, and for you to um, oh. set us straight. Well, you know, as much as you, <laughs> as much as you can. As much as I can set anybody straight, yeah. We'll set you straight, Kaz, all right? Yeah, you can try, yeah. <laughs> right, Alid, here we go. Uh, can HIV be passed on by kissing? No. Saliva is not an effective transmission route. No, never. If somebody kisses you, spits at you, gobs on you, like, 
I don't like being spat at unless they ask me first. But <laughs> regardless, like, no, not an effective transmission route. Never, we've not got one case ever where we know of that there's been a link transmission through saliva. What if I'm a really passionate kisser? That's fine. Oh, like, all right. slobber. What kind of kissing? What kind of kissing are you doing, Chris? Oh, I don't are know. You, I like li- li- are you chewing somebody's face off? Yeah, lick a little bit of face <laughs> as well, isn't it? Next question. So, if I shared a toilet with someone who has HIV, could I be at a risk? Again, no. So, HIV can only live inside the human body. It can only live, uh, there's only four places that it can live, and that's uh, semen, blood, breast milk, and, and vaginal fluid and secretions. HIV is not on the skin. It can't be passed through like urine or feces. You're fine. Someone can sit on the toilet after you and everybody will be okay. Can I get it from oral sex? Now, this is a tricky one. There is a moderate risk here. It wouldn't be the saliva. It would be the mouth of the person would have to have kind of ulcers and broken gums and sores. There'd need to be blood and all sorts going on in the mouth. Someone would need to then ejaculate, let's say, into that mouth um, without any air contact and one of those sperm cells kind of going into the bloodstream that way. So technically, yes, you can. But if I've got a mouth of ulcers and sores and gums, I'm probably not going to want to suck a dick. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> if I'm allowed to say that on the podcast, yeah, otherwise, you don't know like, the kind of people. You'll be right. Don't know the kind of people out there. Don't don't. Um, <laughs> so like, <laughs> you're right. You're right. Saying it, Kaz swears enough. We're good. I've had to have a have, uh, had to have so a content like, warning on it. <laughs> So I'm not going to want to do that. So that's probably going to prevent me from um, having oral sex. So that in itself probably is uh, preventative. What impact will it have on me um, if I was having a baby or I could have a baby? (laughs) So uh, (laughs) you can have a baby. You can live your best baby giving life. Um, So um, if you're undetectable and on treatment, the, like you really we do have excellent care here over in the UK and the midwives will get involved and you'll have like a consultant team at the children's hospital and everything so really very little very very little impact especially if someone is on treatment and they're continually been on treatment and they have an undetectable viral load then it will have very impact a very little impact during pregnancy is it true that you can't get HIV in if you are the top when having male-on-male sex? No, it's not true. Um, There is still a risk. So any time you're having unprotected sex, there is always a risk of transmission. And that risk of transmission is higher if you don't know your status or not on PrEP. There is a risk and you are not automatically protected. Uh, Is it only gays and junkies that get it? No. Um, So if you're a human, uh, you can acquire HIV um, and heterosexuals tend to make up about half of the people that are living with HIV. Um, so, and that's both male and female, um, and it's not always drug users or gay men. Uh, so, Alid, um, how can people get involved uh, with Brigstow? Uh Loads of ways. 
uh, people can get involved with us. So you can either become a volunteer. And um, so with our campaigns group, you don't have to be positive uh, to join that. And um, so if you uh, are, if you want to raise awareness about sexual health and about HIV in general, then you can join that group and volunteer with us. Um, or you can donate um, on our website, www.brugstow.org forward slash donate. Um, and you can give us a donation. You can set up a monthly donation um, so we can continue doing our work. Or follow us on social media. Um, if you see a post that is good from us, hopefully it is because I write them. Yeah. So Twitter and <laughs> um, Twitter and Facebook. Uh, follow us, retweet us, like us. Um, and just get educated really and help spread the message and continue raising that awareness but go onto our website go onto our social media so brigstow.org is the website and then it's at brigstow info on twitter and facebook and at brigstow on instagram and you can drop us a message drop me a dm you can contact us through our website all of our phone numbers and emails are on there excellent thank you very much for joining us alid um, and talking to us about your work with uh, brigstow a hiv charity thank you very much for having me you can check out the chris and cash show by visiting the chris and cash show.co.uk